Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. In our last episode, we explored the testimony of four of the defendants' neighbors. In this episode, we present the last two defense witnesses, also Satilla Shore's residents, each of whom offered special insight into the events leading up to the killing of Mr. Arbery. We will begin that presentation right after the break. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Subi Lawrence and Brooke Perez live in homes very near the construction site where Larry English was building a vacation property and where Ahmad Arbery was seen in several security camera videos. The defense calls both Ms. Lawrence and Ms. Perez, apparently hoping that they will offer the jury insight into the human impact of the presence of strangers on English's property. While Subi Lawrence was the very last witness called by the defense, we present her testimony before we discuss Brooke Perez, because Lawrence offers context for what Perez has to say. Subi Lawrence lives next door to Larry English's Satilla Shores property. Her sons were the boys who took wood from the construction site to build bicycle ramps. Travis McMichael's attorney, Bob Rubin, handles her questioning. He begins by asking Ms. Lawrence about her personal awareness of suspicious activity near her home. I want to take you back to October 2019. Okay. Okay. Um, was there a time when your camera on your own home security system alerted you? Um, yes, sir. It was late October um, and it was late in the evening. So I want to say the boys and I were at a football game or the fair or something on a Friday night maybe that was, um, you know, that had us out late. Um, 10 o'clock-ish, I guess. And so um, I got an alert on my blink cameras that, um, you know, there was motion detected. So I look at it and I see two men um, with flashlights looking um, in the front, at the front of the house. And so, of course, I call Brooke and just say, um, there are guys at my house with flashlights. Can you please send Diego over to see what's going on? Okay, and why would you ask Brooke to send her husband into a difficult situation? I feel very safe with Diego. Um, I know that he would look out for me and my boys at all cost. Okay. And did you eventually um, come to understand who was on the camera that alerted you? Did you ever find out? Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, Diego came over and figured it out and um, relayed it through Brooke. Okay. Um, the, the, uh, did you ever, as a result of that incident, talk to the police? No, sir. Okay. Did you ever post anything on the neighborhood Facebook page? 
Um, in general, yes. About that specifically, I don't recall. When you say in general, what kinds of things were you posting on the neighborhood Facebook page? Who do you use for a landscaper? The ice cream truck is in the neighborhood. Just kind of general, neighborly, keep you updated sort of things. Okay. Did you ever post anything about uh, crime in the neighborhood? I didn't initiate a post. I may have commented on a post about crime in the neighborhood. Okay. Any of those posts related to Larry English's house? Um, I don't recall specifically. Okay. Were you kept informed of uh, the intruder in Larry English's house over the course of the late fall 2019 and early 2020? Yes, sir. So um, if Brooke would find out that there was a suspicious person lurking, she would usually text um, or call me and say, tell the boys to get inside and lock the doors. The guy's back at Larry's. As a result of your awareness of break-ins in Larry English's house, um, did you take any security measures to protect yourself and your kids? Before I knew about the break-ins at Mr. Larry's, um, I had read on our Facebook page about a car being broken into. And um, so after that, I got the blink camera system. Okay. And were you kept aware about crime in the neighborhood through your neighborhood Facebook page? Yes, sir. Did you find it to be helpful? Very helpful. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. How did that make you feel, the fact that there was someone coming over? Mm -hmm. Violated, upset that my kids weren't getting to grow up in the safe neighborhood I grew up in. Um, previously, we lived um, at a on some land and we had a dirt driveway and all they wanted was a neighborhood with roads so that they could ride their bikes. And so to have to say, come inside, stay inside, or mom, I don't want to go outside. It was just, it was just disappointing. Even though it wasn't violent crime, it still affected you and your boys? Well, crimes of opportunity may not start as violent crimes. It's just someone's in the wrong place at the wrong, wrong time. And I didn't want my boys to be home alone and someone think because there's not a car there, there's no one home and then they're in that situation without me. After Bob Rubin concludes his direct examination, Prosecutor Paul Camarillo rises to question Ms. Lawrence. Initially, he asks her to clarify her report of seeing men with flashlights on video recorded by her home security camera. The incident at your house where you said that you saw two guys with a flashlight, mm -hmm. those are police officers, right? Yes, sir. You never saw any trespassers on your, on your camera that night? Correct. You just saw the aftermath of people looking for somebody? Right. Camarillo then asks Perez about her relationships with her neighbors, Brooke and Diego Perez, and Greg and Travis McMichael. All right, so you're friends with the Perez's, mm -hmm. close friends, right? Um, <clears throat> Y'all had dinner together? Mm-hmm. Um, exchange texts and calls and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, Y'all went on a boat ride with um, the Perez's and Mr. McMichael. Mr. Over here. Greg and Ms. Lee. Yeah, right. Okay. And that was shortly, um, that was after the, the homicide. Yes, sir. Do you know Miss Lee McMichael? I do. How do you know her? Um, Lee and I work for the same place. So um, in passing, um, just colleagues. Same hospital? Yes, sir. 
Y'all see each other in passing, talk about friends and family, live in the same neighborhood. We don't usually chit chat, but we're friendly. Okay. Friendly enough that y'all want to boat ride together. Yes. Uh, so, right. Brooke and Diego invited me, and I'm not going to turn down a boat ride. Fair enough. Fair enough. Y'all talk about friends and family, that sort of thing. On the boat ride? No, just in general. The Perez's and yeah. I? Oh, yes, sir. Okay. All right, and then after the shooting, you and, Breck, you and Brooke um, walked over there or kind of meandered over there to see what was going on, right? The day of. The day of. Yes, sir. Okay, and you two were standing there together, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Subi Lawrence's mother, Annabelle Beasley, also testified for the defense in the trial. We featured Miss Beasley's testimony in our last episode. Prosecutor Camarillo's next question to Ms. Lawrence references the theft from her mother's car that also came up in his questioning of Ms. Beasley. Your mom had her car broken into, right? Yes, sir. Well, rummaged through. It was unlocked. It was unlocked. We tend to use that term pretty loosely, right? Yes, sir. Um, Door was unlocked. Car went through. Still unnerving. Very. Nobody wants that to happen. Right. Didn't call 911? No, I did not report it. And my mom was out of the country and asked why I didn't. And I'd seen on the Facebook page that uh, someone's car was also, things were stolen. And when she did report it, I, I mean, the police were in, maybe a little flippant about it. You know, just a car break in, make sure you lock your door. So I thought, I'm not going to call the police for, for her car being rummaged through. Since you've lived in Satilla Shores, you haven't personally witnessed any car break-ins, correct? No. Um, you haven't witnessed personally any property crime? Crime? Other than... Property crime? No. Okay. Um, you've never witnessed or heard about any physical assaults? No. Um, really the only thing that was going on was this car break-ins? Car break-ins and um, several reports of a person that no one knew kind of lurking around. Prosecutor Camarillo also asks Ms. Lawrence about a series of interactions with defendant Travis McMichael. I want to talk to you, Ms. Lawrence, about a time when you had a conversation with Travis McMichael after the shooting. Mm -hmm. Do you remember speaking with him in his driveway at some point after the shooting about this case? Um, no, sir. I remember he was coming home one night and um, I was out in the road and he just stopped and we talked. And y'all talked about the case and what happened? Right. Yes, sir. And he told you there was a video out there? Yes, sir. And that him and his dad were planning on, quote unquote, leaking it? Right. And you agreed to help him do that? Probably not at that time. And so, I didn't agree to leak it. At some point, you and Travis had a conversation about... That I would share it once it got it, out, correct. right. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it had to do with you helping get his version of what happened now. 
Right, the neighborhood's version of past events and yes, kind of all the things that led to this. Because at this point, everybody had seen that video, right? Or a lot of the neighbors, you've seen it. I have seen it, but I don't know about it. They showed it to you. They showed it to you. Correct. On their phone or wherever they had Mm -hmm. it. At that point, nobody knew that they actually engaged in a full-on chase through the neighborhood. Correct? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know what everyone knew. I... No, what I'm asking what they told you. Did they ever tell you that they chased Mr. Aubrey or followed him in a car or whatever you want to characterize it? They never told you that, correct? I don't know. Object to that. What, they? Who are we talking about? I, Greg and Travis. Greg and Travis, they never told you they engaged in that chase, right? Correct. Bob and Renee Herndon posted about their gun being stolen, right? I don't recall. Don't recall. At the very end of that, Travis posted, they're playing with fire on this side of the neighborhood. Remember seeing that? He posted that? I don't. At some point after the the homicide, Travis asked you to admit him into the Satilla Facebook page under the name Travis Hafner. And it was a fake Facebook page, correct? Correct. Uh, Because his actual Facebook page had been hacked. But he didn't take the time to set up a new one under his real name? I don't know that Facebook makes it that easy, but I don't know what he did. You and him talked about the purpose of him creating this Facebook page, correct? Yes, sir. And that purpose was from him to be able to monitor what was going on throughout the neighborhood under this fake name. Monitor what was going on? I don't Look at what people were saying. Right. On redirect, Bob Rubin guides Lawrence through a clarification of why, as an administrator of the Satilla Shores Facebook page, she facilitated the setting up of a fake Facebook page by Travis McMichael after the killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Tell the jury why you were willing to approve Mr. McMichael, Travis, uh, being on the Facebook page under a different name. Uh, I believed the, the account of the the events as they transpired as they were told to me by the by the family and um didn't see a reason he shouldn't have access to what what people were thinking this podcast is brought to you by eHarmony the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages because you are unique And your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Brooke Perez, whom neighbor Subi Lawrence frequently referenced during her testimony, is also questioned by Travis McMichael's attorney, Bob Rubin. Rubin begins by asking about Perez's personal experience with crime in the neighborhood. Were you at one point uh, the victim of a theft crime? Yes, sir. Could you tell the jury what happened and first when that happened? 
I don't remember the year that it happened. I knew it was over the summer. Um, someone in the neighborhood had posted on our neighborhood Facebook page that they had a, I think their car was broken into. And usually when that would happen, I would go out and check just to make sure. And sure enough, I went out and some tools were missing from my husband's truck. Um, it was a Makita drill and impact dropper, charger and two batteries in a case. Did y'all take any actions as a result of, of his tool? His yeah, tool I um, called, I think it might have been the non-emergency number, but I did call and a police officer came out to the house um, and we didn't have the serial numbers um, on there. And he said, you know, I asked him, can you fingerprint the truck perhaps? And he said, no, because of the type of door handle it was that most likely would not show a print. Um, did you post about the theft of tools on on the neighborhood Facebook page. Yes, sir, I did. Tell the jury why you posted about a personal theft of your you and your husband's tools. Well, if I was a victim, I'd assume someone else, you know, in the neighborhood was because that's how I found out I was a victim was someone had said someone had entered their car last night and I said this needs to stop where the car is locked and then come to find out we were, you know, theft and apparently his truck wasn't locked. I'm not sure what happen but just to let them know hey something was missing from us you might want to check too okay so you were letting your neighbors know about your own uh theft yes sir okay. reuben then guides ms perez to describe her experience with intruders on properties near her house including the construction site owned by larry english and the home owned by Subi lawrence was there ever a time where you became aware of um, problems Mr. English was having with intruders on his property. Yes, sir. And do you remember when that was? I believe that might have been in October. Um, what year? Maybe 2019. <laughs> um, and I only know that because a neighbor had um, phoned um, and said that someone was on her camera. She wasn't home. Um, and so I woke up my husband, hey, there's someone on the camera, you know, go and check. And I spoke with police that night. And you said you got a call from a neighbor that yeah. night while this was supposedly happening. Who was the neighbor? Miss Lawrence. Subi Lawrence? Yes, sir. Okay. And she called you? Yes, sir. Did she inform you without saying what she said of what was going on at her house? Yes, sir. Okay. What did you do after you got a call from Subi Lawrence? I immediately woke him up and I was like, you know, honey, honey, there's someone on Subi's camera, you know, and he jumped up and went out, you know, went over and he never found anyone. Yeah. Did you know if he went over there, when he went over there, he was armed? Yes, sir. How do you know that? My husband's normally armed. Um, he carries every day in his waistband, mm -hmm. so. Has a concealed weapons permit? Yes, sir, and we have USCCA, so. Okay, so, so he went over, to your understanding, to Ms. Lawrence's house? Yes, sir. To try to help her understand what was happening. On yeah, she wasn't home and she's a single mom with three small children. Um, and when she called and said someone was on her camera, it was like, oh gosh, you know, so I said, don't come home until we make sure everything's okay. Because the last thing we wanted was someone to be in her house and, you know, her and the little boys go in and who knows okay. what would happen. Was, to your knowledge, anyone found, located, that had been the intruder of Mr. English's property that night? No, sir. Did there come a time when um, uh, you became aware of other nighttime intruders in Mr. English's property? Yes, sir. And how did you become aware of that? Um, Mr. English would text my husband, um, usually a video, um, and sometimes he would call and say, um, 
Well, how would he say the colored man's back um, at my house? That's what he says. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, or the colored boy is what he would call until Diego. Okay. And um, why did he call Diego to your understanding? Um, I know my husband told him um, we're 90 feet or 95 feet, something. Our house is, you know, it may seem like far, but it's not. And he told him, you know, goodness, because um, Larry, I think, had sent him some pictures or whatever. And he said, you know, if you need me to respond, I can. You know, I can pin him up. I have night vision goggles, um, you know, until the police can get here to see who, who this is. And So your husband was leaving your house to go respond to Mr. English's problems? Yes, sir. Okay. Did you ever try to stop your husband say, this is not our concern, don't do that? No, sir. Why? Why not? Sorry. It's dangerous, <laughs> right? It's dangerous. For... I mean, it, it could be, yes, sir, but if you don't know what, you're just going to find out, hey, what are you doing? What's going on here? That's not, it could be dangerous, yes, but it could not. So I, I didn't look at it as. <clears throat> Did it not scare you when your husband would leave the home at night to go check on the street? It was very unnerving that what was going on because you didn't know what was going on, but I guess I trusted my husband enough and I knew, you know, the, I guess the Lord would protect him, whatever he felt right as a husband and as a leader of our home to do, then, then that's what he should do. It's worth noting the confidence in her husband's safety that Ms. Perez expresses during this direct examination. We will return to it during our discussion of her cross-examination by Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski. Ruben continues by inquiring about Lawrence's reaction to these reports of intrusions on Larry English's property. Okay. How or, or what, if any, actions did you take um, once you started hearing about multiple intrusions in Larry English's property two doors down from yours? Um, I messaged his wife on Facebook and asked, can we put up some no trespassing signs? Um, Who's Larry English's wife? Larry English's wife. Um, okay. And ask, um, you know, hey, can I put up some no trespassing signs? Maybe that'll deter, you know, if you don't know, maybe if they see a sign and realize, hey, this isn't just, you know, a random person building a house, it is an actual family building a house maybe that would deter something um, did you ever call any of your surrounding neighbors to let them know that this intruder was here yes sir and could you tell us who you talked to about that i called suvi lawrence okay single mom of three uh, yes across the street so you and suvi were friendly beyond just neighbors our kids um went to pre or daycare together so i've known her for a long time so yes sir i would say did you ever post about about the intrusions in Larry English's house, the break-ins in his house, on the neighborhood Facebook page? Yes, sir. And tell the jury what you posted. I said blackmail, short hair, tattoos on chest and arm, question mark. And that was in response to what? To a neighbor of ours, her husband's truck was broken into and two rifles and a pistol were stolen. Um, What's the date of your post? The date of my post, December 8th of 2019. December 8th, 2019, and you posted about a black male with short hair and tattoos on chest and arm. Why did you single out those characteristics? Well, whenever I spoke to the police, that's, and he showed me a picture, and that was the description that he gave me, and that's also what I could see from the videos. Um, at that time, I think we had several videos of um, a black male, short hair, tattoos, chest and arm. Ruben next inquires about Ms. Perez's experience on the night that Travis McMichael encountered an intruder on the under construction property next to her home. 
Do you recall uh, an event on February 11th regarding Larry English's house? Yes, sir. Tell tell us what you recall from that day. Larry either called, do you, I, I think he might have called or and sent a video um, and said, you know, that the guy, same guy, is back. Um, so Diego would usually go out the back because we thought that he was coming in the back. Um, so, it, but he didn't. He went out the front door, um, and I went out behind him, and then I saw. Mr. Greg and Travis coming down the road, and I was telling them, like, Shh, Diego, like, you know, be quiet, that's Diego. Um, I couldn't tell, I thought Travis was talking to his dad, um, but he was talking loud and excited, and I'm like, you know, hush, you know, someone's down there, be quiet. And I stood in my driveway um, at the time we, our yards were <coughs> fenced. Um, your yards were not fenced? Our yards were not fenced, no, sir. And so I have a really high-powered flashlight, and I turned it on, and I shined it from my driveway to the river, and I could see straight across the river. Um, so that way, if he was running in the back, I would see someone running. Um, so this is this is at night? Yes, sir. It's dark outside? Yes, sir. You're literally leaving your house and going out? In my front yard. To your front yard. Do you yes, have sir. a weapon on you? Yes, sir. What did you carry? Yes, sir. What do you carry? Oh, what, I, um, pair ordinance 1911. Okay. Pistol? Yes, sir, 45. Okay, 45. Is it in a holster? Um, I think I might have had it tucked on my, under my arm because I was holding my flashlight. Now, why are you carrying your firearm out at night in a dangerous situation? Who knows what, you know, what am I going to encounter outside in my front yard? Okay. So, for my protection, my children are right inside the store. Did you post about this incident? Yes, sir. Okay. What date did you post? 2-12 of 20, February 12th. So the next day? Yes, sir. Um, and what did you post? I said, um, it's the same guy the last few times. We have him all over camera, but boy, is he fast, and he knows our neighborhood really good. Why would you say that? Because literally it's 90 feet, 95-ish feet. Um, my husband's pretty fast, but this guy was obviously, you know, way faster because Diego had never, you know, encountered him ever over there. So either he knows the neighborhood and knows, you know, where to tuck in and hide, or he's booking it. Bob Rubin concludes his direct examination of Brooke Perez by asking her about her experience the day that Ahmaud Arbery was killed. When you got home from church, did you find out about the shooting um, of Mr. Arbery? I was pulling into the neighborhood, um, a cop come hauling tail in, and our neighborhood's quiet, mostly old retired people. Um, and I was like, what the heck is going on? So I got off you know, the side of the road, and he come flying on in. and. I told my husband, I said, we're going to go and see what in the heck this happened, you know, what's going on. So I drove around past our house, and that's when we came up on the scene. scene. Yes, right. sir. Right, right, right. Did you see Travis McMichael out there? Yes, sir. And how did he look to you? He, I don't know if scared, he looked just not himself. He just had his hands up, and he was just like, and I was like, what in the world? You, when you, when I came up on, I didn't know what happened. Um, you didn't know what in the world it transpired to go on, but he was bloody and he was just like pacing back and forth. And then I remember he just like kind of plopped himself down. Um, they had like a tree that was pretty tall and he just kind of like sat down and just kind of looked frazzled. And it was like, you know, what the hell I think is what, what I said. Okay. Did you stick around? No, I drove on. My husband said, you know, he's dead. Go, go, go. We had our kids in the car, so. 
On cross-examination, Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski zeroes in on the assumptions made by Brooke Perez and her husband, Diego, when Larry English called them about intruders on his property. The problem with Larry English and his cameras is the camera goes off, he gets it on his phone, and then by the time he watches it, he calls Diego. Is that right? Now we know that's right. We thought he was calling the police and then calling Diego, but... We've learned after talking with you that that was not the case, so yes. He was just calling Diego Drake. Unfortunately, yes. Not calling the police? No. And your husband had had it with that, hadn't he? Yeah, he, once he realized on February 11th, that's when he said, you don't ever have to worry about me. I'm not doing that again. Like, what in the world? Why would you put myself in danger like that? While during direct examination, Brooke Perez expressed confidence in her husband's safety, Prosecutor Dunikowski has elicited a concession from her that she and her husband were exasperated with the way that Larry English was using them in lieu of the police. Her tone is more agitated and less principled than her expression of neighborly duty and trust during Bob Rubin's questioning. Prosecutor Dunikowski next asks about the evening that Travis McMichael called 911. On the night of February 11th that we're talking about, Diego goes out of the house, he goes over there, like he's normally doing. Does he have his high-powered flashlight with him? Yeah. And he's got his gun with him. Mm -hmm. And you come out the front door and you see Travis and Greg McMichael. Yes. And you're communicating with him, telling him what? I was trying to tell him, like, hush, hush, because, I mean, he was just so, I'm like, who are you talking to? Shut up. What are you doing? I didn't realize until, you know, later that he was on the phone with 911. I thought he was talking to his dad, so... God. And you were afraid Greg and Michael was going to go in there and shoot your husband, weren't That's you? That's why I was trying to tell him, hush, my husband's in there, my husband's in there, letting him know, hey, if you come across someone, you know, it, it's not, it, I didn't know how they, you know, got down there. I didn't realize that Travis had saw the guy or any of that. I thought, oh gosh, Larry English is telling someone else in the neighborhood and now, you know, they're going down like, holy cow, this is not going to be a a good situation if he didn't know my husband was in the house. So that's why I was trying to let him know, like, hush, Diego's in there, you know. But you were afraid that if they had a gun, they'd find your husband and shoot him. Well, I knew that my husband had a gun, and I didn't want them to see my husband with a gun and just think he is this random person in the house and he's armed. So therefore, you know, we need to bring a little bit some. That's what I just wanted them to know. Hey, that's my husband in there. With these statements by Brooke Perez, Prosecutor Dunikowski has elicited testimony that establishes for the jury that the area around Larry English's property in Satilla Shores was an environment marked by fear and danger. Ms. Perez all but acknowledges a fear that someone might shoot someone based on assumption, suspicion, and apprehension. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Join us in our next episode as we begin our coverage of the attorney's closing statements in the trial. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. 
Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. <laughs>